Amen. Amen. Thank you so, so much. Uh, and uh, just excited again to gather today. Thank you so much, Nick. If you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Thank you so much. And uh, we're going to uh, continue in the Word uh, this morning. And as you're turning, I want to take one more opportunity on behalf of my lovely bride and my four kiddos and to say that we have been absolutely 100% completely blown away by the love, the care, the graciousness that you all have shown to us. And in a lot of ways, our heads are still spinning a bit with just the the sweetness and the goodness and the love that you've shown on our family. So thank you so much. Uh, we are home and we're thrilled to be here. And uh, this past Wednesday, we did a Q&A uh, and not all the boxes are unpacked yet. So like the next day, I was like, so should I start putting stuff back in the boxes after everybody knows us a little bit more? Uh, but they're like, no, no, it's all right. So so we're excited to be here. All the boxes are almost gone and uh, so we are, again, we're just thrilled, thrilled, thrilled. Um, we are continuing this morning a series that we're calling Known. And the whole heart behind this series that really we're wrapping up today is that, uh, that there are some specific marks that we are to be known for as the body of Christ. That, that if we want to be effective in sharing the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, if, if, if we desire to share that message with our community, our community is going to need to see some tangible evidence that we truly believe what we say we believe. And so even just a couple weeks ago, we talked about how as believers that we would be known by our love and not just any kind of love, sacrificial love. Jesus said, John 13, he, he said, the world will know that you are mine because of the love that you have for one another. So the world will know that we're his because of how we love. And so by God's grace, may we be known by our love. And last week we talked about how we would be known by our unity. And then I believe that there is probably nothing that scares the devil more than a unified church that is focused on the glory of God and the mission of God. And that by the grace of God, again, we link arms and we are together. That there is a oneness with God as we're in Christ, but there is a oneness relationally with one another. And that the world, God wants to reveal himself to our community and those without him by the unity that we display. And then today we are going to wrap up by talking about how we are to be known by our hope, by our hope, because as believers, we hold the hope that this world desperately needs. Have you ever been a place where not just you need something, but you desperately need something? Our world desperately needs Jesus and we hold this hope that the world desperately needs. And we use the word hope a lot. Matter of fact, in preparing for this message, I didn't realize how much I used the word hope. Um, for like, it felt like there for a while, it's like, I hope it rains, I hope it rains, I hope it rains, because my grass is like dying. All right. And then it like rained all day yesterday. And then I was like, well, I hope it doesn't rain today <laughs> because we can go outside and play. It's just like, we hope, we hope, we hope, we hope school starts back. We hope that if you drove here and your gas light is on, and you know you've been riding around with that gas light on too long. You hope you get to the gas station when this is over, right? You hope, we hope, hope college football starts. There's all these things that we hope for. But, but, but hope is 
oftentimes in our lives connected to wishful thinking. But, but we, we hold a hope that is far more. Matter of fact, the complete opposite of wishful thinking. We have a biblical hope, a real hope, a lasting hope. It is a confident expectation. It is a firm assurance regarding what we know to be true, but quite hasn't happened yet. We hold this hope. And as a people with a relationship with Christ, we don't have to depend on wishful thinking. We have a confident expectation because we believe Jesus is who He says He is and we believe His Word is true. And if you believe those two things with all of your heart, that changes everything about our lives. And everybody is looking for hope. Everybody. How Lindsay said this, he says, man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. That it has been said that hope is the thing that gets us there. It's the thing that gets us there. And so today, 1 Peter 3 verses 14 and 15, we're going to look at two verses. But as a believer, our hope is the good news. It is the gospel. That is our hope. The good news is that no matter who we are and where we are from or what we have done, we are all supernaturally loved by God and wonderfully made in His image. Every single person. Even if you don't feel like it, you are loved and you are wonderfully made. The bad news is that we have all turned away from God. We've chosen our way over God's way. And our sin separates us from God. And we see that evidence and the consequences of that everywhere we turn. Our society, the brokenness, the pain, the suffering. But the best news is that God has not left us alone in our separation. But God has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And He has made a way for every single one of us to be restored to a relationship with Him. And not just in this world, but here's the hope, but for all eternity. This is the hope that we hold as believers. And this is the hope that our world desperately needs. Peter wrote this letter. Now, Peter, I I, just even this past Wednesday, we did a Q&A. One of the questions was, who would you want to meet in the Bible if you can meet anybody? And my my bride uh, said, I'd love to meet Peter. Peter was like just a man's man, fisherman. People say he had a foot-shaped mouth because he, he kind of kept kind of like, he would always be the first to speak up or maybe the first to regret what he said. But he was called to follow Christ. He was a friend of Christ. He was a leader of disciples. Everywhere you look in the Bible, if you see the, the disciples named out, listed out, he's always listed first. And he had a front row to see all that Jesus did. I want you to think about all Peter said. This this letter we're going to be reading just a few verses of. Think about all Peter saw and was a part of. That God called him. The day the the nets were so full that they were busting and had to ask for people to help. The fact that he would not only see him heal multitudes, but he healed his own mother-in-law in Capernaum. That he saw him cleanse the leper. That he saw Jesus make food for multitudes out of just a small boy's sack lunch. And that he saw literally people raised from the dead. Like he saw everything. He had a front row seat. And he was one of the the part of that inner circle. Peter, James, and John. That inner circle that, that had those intensive times of discipleship with the Lord. 
that a little later on in his life, towards the end of Christ's ministry, again in that upper room on that Thursday night before he was crucified, it was in that night that, that Jesus was saying, now the time is for me, to, to, for me to be glorified. Now is the time to go to the cross. And Peter's the one that speaks up and says, where are you going? I'll follow you anywhere. I'll die for you. And, and in his overconfidence, Christ corrects him. I imagine it was maybe gentle, but said, no, you're going to deny me three times. Before the rooster crows. He denied him. Christ was crucified. Rose from the dead. And on the shores of Galilee. A resurrected Christ. Restores Peter. And I love that. Peter's a real guy. <laughs> like we can relate to him. Have you ever messed up? And then experienced the grace of God? This is Peter. And not only that. He tells them to go wait in the upper room. The Holy Spirit falls. Empowers them to be witnesses. Peter is now preaching on the day of Pentecost. The Bible says 3,000 people got saved on that day. 3,000 people. Imagine this. Here is Peter, who some would say maybe cowardly action, and that he denies Christ, denies Christ, denies Christ. Now he is boldly standing before the, 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 the people and the power of the Holy Spirit preaching, and, and 3,000 people are getting saved. From, that, from, from that, that cowardice to that courage, and that's what the Holy Spirit gifts us, power to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. God has gifted us. And you see in Peter's life this commitment to God's mission and God's glory. And he continues to teach. And he continues to invest. And he continues to pour his life into others. And that he is not only arrested, but beaten multiple times. And as historians say, that he was crucified under the tyrant Nero upside down in Rome because he did not feel himself worthy to be crucified as his Lord. And so as Peter is writing this letter, he's writing it to multiple churches. In the opening of the book, just to share this with you, he was writing to those believers, both Jewish and Gentile believers, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All part of present-day Turkey, all under Roman Empire at that time. And, and here's the picture. is that It is believed that Peter wrote this letter somewhere around 63 and that it would have been about a A.D. and then about a year later it would be when he would be martyred for his faith. And under Nero, the tyrant leader, he is preparing the believers for what's to come. Because he is preparing them for the intensifying persecution and the intensifying suffering that is sure to come if they are vocal and stand firm in their faith. And it is the theme of this letter we find later in chapter 5, verse 12, that Peter says that they would stand firm in the true grace of God. That under intensifying persecution and suffering that is sure to come, that this letter is to remind them of the hope that they have, but not just the hope that will help them persevere through all of the, the suffering and, and the, the challenge and the trial to come, but also that they would verbally be prepared to share their hope with other people who desperately need hope. Just as he's called us. And so it's under this rising persecution and suffering that Peter writes this in verses 14 and 15 is what I want us to look at today. He says this. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope 
that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. couple observations from the text this morning is first that suffering and fear will attempt to silence our hope. Suffering and fear will attempt to silence our hope. Again, verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Now, just a couple verses earlier in this letter, Peter says this in verse 10, whoever desires to love life and see good days, that's me. All right. Anybody want to love life and see good days? Okay, I'm not the only one here. I want that. Okay, here's what he says. He says, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good and let him seek peace and pursue it. All right. Good days kind of track with this right here. But then as the letter continues, he kind of rounds a corner. He rounds a corner in the letter and now says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake and what he's what he's cluing them in on is that persecution is inevitable. That persecution is going to come. If you faithfully stand for what is right, that is righteousness. It's rightness. If you stand for what is right, persecution will come. Persecution is going to come. The, the world will tolerate you, but only for so long. Only for so long. Jesus was talking to his disciples in John 3, 19, and he said this light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. So this morning, most mornings I wake up before the sun ever gets up. And and uh, so I get up, get out of bed. And, and I'm not one of those that just spring out of bed, but I get up in the morning uh, and, and it's almost like I kind of dread the whole turning on the light thing in the morning because it's all dark, right? Our eyes are used to the dark. The dark is a good thing. And then you go to hit the light and then it's like, ah, I can't see. I can't see. And it's this painful thing. This is kind of the picture that I have. Is that this world is so used to the darkness and that when you stand for righteousness, when you stand for what is right, when you stand for the gospel, when you stand for Jesus, when you stand on his word, that the world loves darkness. But when the light is displayed, it, it could be a painful thing. Jesus says or the word says about Christ that he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Acts 10, 38. So here's Jesus going about doing good. And what happened to him? He was murdered. And so there is this persecution that is very real. The suffering that is real. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. And so Matthew 5.10, Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. There it is again, righteousness' sake. In other words, I'm not going out just looking to get a punch in the face. And I'm like, wow, that was a blessing. You know, somebody takes me out, I get home. Hey, Amber, kids, gather around. Let me tell you, I got punched in the face. Like, like I'm, that's not a blessing, okay? Not a blessing. But the Bible says that if you suffer for righteousness sake, that it is a blessing. It is a blessing. There is blessing and suffering, suffering because blessing is a privilege. It's an honor. It's an honor to suffer for the Lord. Peter the same disciple that's writing this letter to all of those churches and believers that would, that would be reading this. And he had recently been, him and other apostles had been, had been arrested. 
and, and they had been brought before a council, and they were beaten, and then they were released. And here's what Acts 5.41 says. It says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were rejoicing because they were found worthy to suffer. He goes on to say, And every day and in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Peter is writing from experience. He is writing to these believers with this intensifying persecution to come that it is a blessing to suffer for righteousness' sake. He's clinging to Later in the, the letter where he says this in 1 Peter 5.10, he says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So what he's saying is hang in there. Hang in there. He's worthy. It's worthy. It's, oh, it's worth rejoicing to suffer for the Gospel, to suffer for Christ. And so it is... It is this threat of suffering that will try to silence the hope, but also, the Bible goes on to say, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. In other words, don't be shaken, don't be stirred by this fear. Fear has this way, when you turn up the volume of fear, that it kind of tries to quiet out the hope, the living hope that we have. But our hope is imperishable, because its source is divine. Another observation is that lasting hope is rooted in devotion to Jesus Christ. He says in verse 15 of 1 Peter chapter 3, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. In other words, set apart Jesus Christ as Lord in your heart. To give Him the primary place. That He would have first place to set Him apart above all others. The sole object of our love, reverence, loyalty, obedience, and submission. That He is above all. He is above our spouse. He's above our children. He's above our hobby. He's above our job. He's above all things. Now, when me and my lovely bride right here got married, um, I didn't realize that doing inscriptions inside your wedding band was a thing. And so, um, I'm sorry if I should have had something inscribed in your ring. I didn't, but she had something inscribed in mine. And I can't remember exactly where along the way it was, but, but, uh, and I would take off my wedding ring and show you if I could, but my knuckle has grown since, uh, actually we're coming up on our anniversary a couple days. So, so, so anyway, inside this wedding band right here, it says this, it says, you're my number two. That's what she told me. Now there's a part of you that's kind of like, whoa, hold up here. No, no, I'm your husband. Like I'm number one. But what she's saying is, no, you, you're not my number one. You're my number two, but God is my number one. That God is above all. He's to be preeminent. Chuck Colson in his book says that in the culture back 2,000 years ago, that a believer, if they were to stand in a public arena in a Greek and Roman culture, and they were to shout to the rooftops that Jesus Christ is God, that they would be, I don't know, they would even be affirmed. It wouldn't really be a big deal. Why? Because Greek and Roman culture at the time was polytheistic. There's all these gods, all these gods. But here's where, here's where the rub would come. Is that if they were to stand and they were to say, Jesus Christ is, love, is Lord above all and there is no other, then they would have a threat of losing their life. Why? Because Caesar had declared himself to be Lord. And so it is setting Christ apart as Lord above all. And this proclamation does not come by lip service. It comes by 
in our hearts, the word says, honor Christ the Lord is holy. That if, if you and I, if we are going to stand for Christ publicly, then it means that we are bowing the knee privately. That if we are going to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies in us, which is what we're about to get to, that there is a preparation that happens that is private, that is personal, that this devotion happens in our hearts. It's inward way before it ever makes its way outward. It's private before it goes public. This living hope is rooted in a devotion to Christ, but our hope also is designed to be shared. It's designed to be shared. The Bible says again in verse 15, it says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Our hope is designed to be verbally shared to a lost world. That this word here for making a defense, it's a, it's a legal term. It's a courtroom lingo. And it's this idea not to, it's the same word we get our word apology or apologetics. Not in the sense of like, I'm sorry I'm a Christian, I'm sorry I believe this, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, not at all. In other words, it's the, really the opposite, is to give a formal defense, it's to stand in a court and give a compelling reason. It is this idea of constant preparedness, always being prepared, always. And Peter is teaching his, his recipients that, listen, the world is the courtroom, the world is the courtroom and your life is on trial. And when people see the living hope that you cling to and you hold to, that it is it is in that hope that your life is on trial. And it's in those moments that you need to be prepared to be ready to give a defense, to give a compelling reason to the hope. And it is in light of this intensifying persecution, intensifying suffering that Peter says to always be ready to give a defense, to give an answer. And I would say to you and to me, if you're in this room or you're listening online and you have had that time in that place where you have repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, that we are in a living courtroom. And most of us, I'm thinking, do the best we can to stay out of those places, right? But, but the world is a living courtroom and our lives are on display. Our lives are on trial. And it's even more than lip service, but it is the way we love our lives. When they see we're known by our unity and they're known by our love. And they say, so what's the deal with the hope? What's the deal with the hope that we'd be ready to share? That we would be ready to share? And here's what he says. He says, but do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. We're not going to take a poll of this, but I wonder how many of us have won an argument and lost a person, right? You win an argument, you lose a person. But the Bible tells us do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness, another word, is meekness. A definition for that is power under control. So, so any NASCAR fans in the house this morning or online, anybody? There's two of us. All right, there's three. Okay, so, so here's the deal. You're familiar with NASCAR, right? Uh, these cars are made to run, run fast, hundreds of miles an hour. So whether it's a rain delay or it's a wreck, whatever it might be, the pace car hops out and what they do is they go under caution 
And it's this opportunity for all the cars to kind of file back in line to get ready to go back to green. And what this is kind of the picture of meekness that I have. Is that you have these, these cars that are designed to run and run fast, but yet they are pacing themselves. They could go full on, but yet they're under control. It's power under control. Listen, we have the Word of God and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We have all the power in the world in Christ, but yet He has called us to share this truth, to share this hope with gentleness, with meekness, and with respect. With respect. We show reverence to God when we show respect to other people. And so in a, in, in a hostile crowd where your life is on trial, this is where Peter says, be prepared to give the hope that is in you. But even in that situation, do so with gentleness and respect. God help us to boldly and courageously share our hope because we hold this hope that this world desperately needs. So, how, so, so in light of this text, how do we walk forward in this being known by our hope, this living hope? And just a couple things that I would share this morning is first that we would prepare and pray for opportunities to share the hope with others. That we would prepare and pray. That's that, that's that but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord. It begins in your heart, begins with setting Him apart. Now, I am not a legalist at all, okay? But I, I'm, grace abounds. But, but I will say this, there is something very practical about spending time in God's Word as you start your day. And the, the reason being is because it goes back to that being prepared. Be prepared, be always prepared to, to give an account, to give a defense for the living hope you have. And so that by God's grace, we are preparing our hearts by saturating our hearts in the Word, by spending time in prayer, that we are, that we are prepared to give an answer, to give a response. And so in that preparation, here's what I would encourage all of us as believers to do. Is it would we at some point this week, if we would just write this question down somewhere in our notes or somewhere and just say this, why do I believe in Christ? Why do I believe in Christ? That we would be ready to give an answer. That we would be always prepared. It's a great starting point. Why are you a Christian? Why am I a Christian? And be prepared. Be prepared, but also praying for opportunities. Praying for opportunities. I don't, I don't do anything every single day, every day of my life. But, but I strive to almost every day is pray that God would give me an opportunity to share the gospel, to, to share the good news, to have a gospel conversation. Just last week, we had movers helping move our stuff in. And they were uh, kind of bringing some stuff in. And, and, you know, granted, I'm maybe having more conversations because they're like, well, why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you here? You know, and, and, and so I don't always lead out. Well, I'm a pastor, um, you know, um, but, but, but eventually it got to that place. And as we kind of continued to, to move and I was trying to help them and everything, he said, so, so how does that work? Why are you a pastor here? And so in that moment, I could have said, well, I said, well, when a church is without a pastor in a Southern Baptist church, typically there's a committee that gathered from a cross section of, of, of the church and they begin to, 
to, to like maybe it's through a, a, a uh, inquiry of the faith family, like what kind of pastor are you looking for? And then they, they kind of make a profile and then they have in, uh, like uh, resumes come in and then they do uh, interviews and then basically by God's grace, wisdom and Holy Spirit leading like you ultimately land at the end of that process and, and, and the church votes and, and, then, and then you have a pastor. So I could have said all of that, right, to, to, the, to the guy that was helping us move in. But had I not been, I would say, prepared and praying for an opportunity, it's like the Holy Spirit said, hold up, because I almost went there. I almost went there. And he said, no, just, just share the reason for the living hope that you have. Just share that. And so he asked me that question, and it was like the Holy Spirit was working in my heart. And then I said, I said, I said, well, actually, I said, it actually goes back to as a 10 year old boy. As I was reading the word of God and I know the word of God to be true. And I know that God loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. And that the Bible said that if I turn from my sin and I place my faith and trust in him and him alone, that he would save me. That he lived a perfect life that I could never live. That he died a death that I should have died. That he was placed in a tomb and that he rose from the dead and he allows us to have a relationship with him and and that might have been more than he was asking for in that moment but it was we were sharing the living hope and so what if we started there even this week god prepare my heart through your word why am i a christian am i able to articulate that am i able to share the living hope but then also god would you give me an opportunity to have a gospel conversation this week would you help me to be sensitive and be aware and be looking for that opportunity and it might come in the least expected place. It might happen in your home. It might happen with a neighbor. It might happen with a coworker. But that we would be looking for those opportunities. Another way that I would encourage us to apply this message is that we would pray for the persecuted church. That as we gather in freedom, as we gather in freedom, that there are those who cannot gather in freedom. That Open Doors is an organization that aids the persecuted church. And I want to share a few facts and figures as I'm wrapping up here this morning. But here's the deal. Each fact and figure that I'm about to share represents real people just like you and just like me. They have real lives just like you and just like me. These are people that have families. They have jobs. Some of them are able to meet publicly in churches. Their fathers, their mothers, their husbands, their wives, their sons, their daughters, their brothers, their sisters, who every day at times make the dangerous choice of suffering for righteousness' sake. This is happening in our world today. These are the figures from 2019. The numbers are this. There's a 50 countries that are called the World Watch List. That in those 50 World Watch List countries, there are 245 million Christians in the world who experience high levels of persecution for their choice to follow Christ. That one in every nine Christians worldwide experience high levels of persecution. That 4,136 Christians were killed last year for faith-related reasons in these 50 countries. That 2,625 Christians were detained without trial, arrested, and sentenced and imprisoned. With, with, with no opportunity to be released. 1,266 churches or Christian buildings that were attacked. Seven out of every nine that were per persecuted were a direct result of Islamic oppression. Five years ago, North Korea was the only country that, with this kind of 
persecution scorecard were determined to be an extreme level of persecution. That was five years ago. North Korea was the only one. Today there are 11. For 18 consecutive years, North Korea has ranked the number one world's most dangerous place for Christians. That as we gather, there are over 50,000 believers who are in labor camps right now in North Korea. That right now, there are some 25.5 million people in North Korea, and there are about 300,000, it's estimated, around 300,000 believers who gather underground as the body of Christ. And they are growing and they are thriving. As we speak, every month, 105 churches are attacked, burned, and vandalized. And every day, every single day, 24-hour period, the time we lay our head down tonight in a 24-hour period, 11 Christians will be martyred for their faith. And all of these believers are those that we share this living hope with, and that is with this living hope, with the world as our courtroom, that the Holy Spirit, through Peter, to us, a man who can speak from experience, says this, always be ready. Always be ready to give a defense for the hope that you have. This living hope, the gospel. And so may as we go about our day, may we pray for the persecuted church. Because even as we gather in freedom, many don't. And the last thing I would share is just simply this question. I ask us here, I ask online. And that is this, is have you ever responded to the hope of the gospel? Have you ever responded to this living hope this living hope, this eternal hope, the fact that God so loved the world that He gave His Son. God so loved you. You can put your name in the blank. God so loved you that He gave His one and only Son, that God Himself came to live a life that we could never live on our own because He's perfect. It took a perfect sacrifice to pay for our sin. And that He was crucified on the cross for our sin. He was placed in the tomb and He rose from the dead the third Day And he extends and even pursues the lost to have a relationship with him, to be forgiven, to be rescued from your sin, and not just to have that mission and that hope and that gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling us today, but we will spend eternity with him forever and ever and ever. And if you have never responded to the hope of the gospel, I encourage you to do that today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this letter. A lot of ways I wish we could just keep going through the letter. There's so much there. But Father, um, as we are walking through what we are to be known for as believers, sacrificial love, unity. But Father, today as we look at, we're known for this living hope. The good news. And so God, I pray, Father, that we as believers would find ourselves ready. Always ready to give an answer. To give a defense Father, of the hope that we have. Why are we a believer? And we're able to articulate, to share that. But God, not just the preparation, but God, that we are praying for opportunities, that we are having gospel conversations, that if we wait till we know everything, we'll be waiting forever. But just trust you in the adventure of following you and sharing the hope that this world desperately needs. Father, I pray for the persecuted church 
That God, it's so hard to relate, but yet I know, God, that just on the other side of the planet right now, that there are those that are gathering for fear of losing their life. That for many of those adult parents, they haven't told their kids because they're waiting until their kids are a little bit older enough because as soon as they know, it changes everything for their lives. It changes everything. This threat of suffering for righteousness' sake. So God, we pray for peace. We pray for grace. We pray for comfort. We pray that your presence, God, would would just be tangible in their lives as they gather. And they know that their brothers and sisters on the other side of the globe are lifting them up, interceding for them. And God, we pray, as Peter instructed the church, intensifying suffering, persecution to come, that they would be prepared to give an answer, a defense, a compelling reason to the hope that they have. And many lost people far from you will give their hearts to you as Lord. And God, for anybody who may be here today or listening online that's never accepted you as the Lord of their lives, that even in this moment as we pray and as we respond and as we reflect, God, that they would acknowledge their need for you, turn from their sin and trust you as Lord of all. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. And I pray you do a work in our lives and may we be known by our hope. In Jesus' name, amen.